KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, November 30th. Mexico's effort to fight crime with the military is failing. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. There's a tentative deal for thousands of academic workers in the UC system, but the strike isn't over yet. The agreement covers postdoctoral scholars and academic researchers, but they say they are staying on strike in solidarity with 36,000 graduate student workers who don't have a deal yet. UC San Diego student researcher Dun Hang Lee is one of those graduate students. The grades are due soon. Um, professors can't do all the grading for 400 students in their lecture class. They're going to need the TAs to get back to work. Negotiations will continue as the fall quarter ends this week. A federal grant will help ensure the county's health department has the staffing and technology to continue combating the pandemic and other infectious diseases. Yesterday, the CDC announced $3 billion in funding to bolster the nation's public health infrastructure. San Diego County will receive $33 million over the next five years. The money will be used to keep 60 positions added during the pandemic. It will also help pay for technology upgrades, including those inside the public health laboratory. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria signed an executive order yesterday to address the fentanyl crisis in the city. It directs the police department to strengthen and prioritize enforcement for crimes related to the sale of fentanyl. More than 800 San Diegans died from fentanyl overdoses last year. The order also says that the city plans to pursue legislation at the state and federal level to address the increase in overdoses. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Mexico deployed hundreds of National Guard troops in Tijuana to combat violent crime. But data shows that crime hasn't decreased. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis looked at the impact of Tijuana's growing militarization. You've probably seen this meme before, or at least a variation of it. It's of a man and a woman walking down the street holding hands. The man gawks at another woman passing by, and his partner just stares at him, mouth wide open in utter shock. There's a version of the meme circulating on social media in Tijuana. In it, the man is represented by thousands of National Guard troops who've been deployed in Baja California to tackle the spiking homicide rate. His girlfriend? Tijuana residents who are supposed to be protected by the National Guard. And the other woman? Well, she represents Tijuana flea markets. Maria Cortez makes her living in the city's flea markets. She sells secondhand clothes. And she laughed when I asked her to explain the meme to me. <laughs> Cortez says that the National Guard troops come from parts of Mexico where American goods like Nikes and Levi's are hard to come by. So they like to shop around in the flea markets while they're in Tijuana. 
Y cuando vienen a Tijuana, entran a sobre ruedas y miran los tenis Nike, vienen la ropa de marca, ven cosas que allá donde vienen ellos no hay aquí, pues voltean y andan viendo qué compran. And while the troops shop, Cortés and others say that neighborhoods in Tijuana remain besieged by violence. There were more than 1,900 homicides last year in Tijuana. At first, residents were happy that the federal government was finally taking action. Cuando recién llegaron, fíjate que sí, se intimidaba, ¿no? Había como esa presencia, dices tú, ay, qué padre, ya tenemos, nos sentimos más protegidos, ya va a ver. But there's already been more than 1,700 murders in Tijuana so far this year, on track to surpass last year's total. The National Guard troops stationed in Tijuana did not respond to a request for comment. This isn't the first time that Mexico has turned to the military to fight crime. Cecilia Farfán Méndez is a researcher at UC San Diego. She traces today's efforts back to 2006. So the argument that was made about in 2006 was that because there was corruption in civilian law enforcement institutions, we needed to deploy the armed forces in a way that they had not been involved before until, you know, the civilian institutions were developing up and corruption was rooted out of them. So it was always meant to be a temporary solution. Now, nearly two decades later, city and state police forces are still considered corrupt and ill-equipped to tackle cartel-level violence. In September, Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador doubled down on the militarization strategy. He passed a law that formally made the federal police force part of the military. So far, the data show that this hasn't worked. Despite these deployments, we don't see security conditions improving in Mexico. Maria Cortez doesn't need data to know that her neighborhood is still a dangerous place. She recently gave me a tour. She pointed out the house where the local meth dealer lives and the playground that people use to shoot up heroin. They operate in the open, and Cortez says that the National Guard still does nothing to stop them. Cortez says that the soldiers are either scared or they just don't want to bother. To make matters worse, soldiers in other parts of Mexico have been accused of human rights violations. Farfán Méndez says this is also something that isn't new. What has been documented over the years, especially by human rights activists, is that, unfortunately, these deployments tend to really erode human rights. Teresa Martinez is a researcher for the think tank Mexico Evalúa. She has spent years conducting fieldwork in neighborhoods like the one where Maria Cortez lives. She says that the current conditions are so bad that people are actually willing to sacrifice some of their own civil rights for more protection. For citizens, my rights has been violated every single minute, every single day by the organized crime or any other uh, criminal. So I don't care about the, the human rights. But she says that's only acceptable if the armed forces brought here to protect them actually accomplish their mission. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. UCSD School of Global Policy and Strategy is hosting a free webinar today to assess the results of the latest International Climate Summit, COP27. Emily Carlton is a university research assistant who attended the summit. She remains skeptical of the current global goal to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Well, there's definitely truth to warming is happening. It's probably going to be more than 1.5, and that has big, scary implications. I also think that it's not all doom and gloom. You know, progress is being made in a lot of niche markets around the world. Things are changing. Momentum is building. Carlton will be co-moderating the event at 3.30 this afternoon. You can register at the UCSD School of Global Policy and Strategies website, gps.ucsd.edu. 
Edu. San Diego health officials are bracing for a surge in COVID-19 hospitalizations this holiday season. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman says officials encourage the public to get their updated vaccines. In September, updated COVID-19 vaccines were made available in San Diego County called bivalent boosters. They're designed to better protect against the virus's latest variants. Dr. Seema Shah with San Diego County's health department says just 16% of eligible residents have gotten them so far. We have a lot of room to go and we know that the bivalent works. You know, we're seeing that it actually decreases hospitalizations and deaths. So we certainly want to continue to encourage people to, to get their booster. And of course, the flu vaccine. Just over 10,000 flu cases have been reported this season. It takes two weeks for both the flu and COVID vaccines to take full effect. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. It's a long-term problem that has defied solutions. A conference to identify ways to address San Diego's homelessness crisis starts today and runs through tomorrow. KPBS reporter John Carroll says the event is bringing in experts from around the country. The name of the two-day conference portends something big, Solutions for San Diego. It's being hosted by the Regional Task Force on Homelessness, the first time they've ever hosted such a meeting. More than 600 people will come together for the two-day event. As the task force describes it, they'll collaborate, learn, and build on best practices. The conference has major support from more than 30 organizations working to solve homelessness. Part of the conference will honor frontline workers that see the problem up close every day. The Regional Task Force on Homelessness grew out of a mayoral task force nearly 40 years ago. The problem is worse in 2022 than ever before, so there are high hopes this conference will produce solutions that will move San Diego closer to finally solving a problem that has so far proven unsolvable. John Carroll, KPBS News. Coming up, a new study finds Americans would rather hurt the political cause they believe in than support the one they don't. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. A 
new study from the Rady School of Management finds that when it comes to politics, Americans would rather hurt the cause they believe in than support the one they don't. Ariel Friedman co-authored the study. He's a PhD candidate in behavioral marketing at the Rady School of Management. He spoke with KPBS's Jade Heidman about the study's findings. Okay, so for this study, you looked at three contentious issues, gun rights, reproductive rights, and funding for political parties. What did you find there? Yeah, so we found that consistently across those three different causes, people would rather harm their own side than help the opposing side. And we found it across those three causes and across both people on both sides of each cause. So Democrats and Republicans, pro-life, pro-choice, they both behaved similarly They would both rather subtract funding and hurt their side than add any kind of even a small amount of funding to the opposing side. Interesting and sad. Um, What reasons (laughs) do people offer in terms of why they're willing to harm their own party and and self-interest even uh, to avoid support of their opposing party? Yeah, so that's a very fascinating question and one that kind of motivated a lot of this research. We believe that one of the drivers of people's decision-making in, in these kinds of contexts is their identity and how their choices impact their identity. And kind of to put it in a nutshell, we find that it's, it's more harmful to one's identity to help the other side than to harm their own side. So, you know, I mean, it sounds like compromise and cooperation are difficult for Americans these days. Um, what are the psychological barriers to that? That's a great question. And and we think that this work kind of contributes to those psychological barriers. Um, People, you know, just don't seem to want to make any concessions to an opposing side. And that really harms uh, cooperation. And and you you can imagine that this might have big implications for, uh, you know, in in the political sphere, for example. And tell me more about the study that you did. How did you uh, survey people? So what we did is in an experiment, we asked participants or we told participants that we'd be making two donations, one to each side of the cause. So, for example, a donation to Republicans and a donation to Democrats. And we simply asked people, you have a choice to alter these donation amounts. Would you rather add a dollar to the opposing side or subtract a dollar from your side? And we found that about 70 percent of participants, when they were asked this question, preferred to subtract a dollar from their side rather than add a dollar to the opposing side. What did you find is key to bringing Americans together? One important thing that we found can help to bring people together is to establish kind of norms of helping the other side. So when if people knew, for example, that a lot of others in their group, when faced with this decision, actually chose to help the other side, then people kind of copied that. When, when the norm was established to kind of cooperate and, and, you know, kind of help the other side, people followed that norm. And, and we think that, you know, even in high stakes situations, like in politics, having perhaps, say, prominent politicians cooperating and, and kind of coming together and, and perhaps ceding gains to the other side in the spirit of cooperation, that can help others kind of follow that example. And when it comes to uh, political ideologies, uh, I know you've said you want to expand your research to study people in other countries and cultures. Um, can you talk about why that's important? The U.S. is, um, there are many accounts that suggest that kind of polarization in the U.S. is is, is at kind of an all-time high. And so we thought it could be interesting to look at other countries where 
um, polarization is, is not as stark, for example, and see whether we find a, a similar pattern there or if this is kind of, you know, unique to perhaps U.S. or Western countries. What's the consequence, you think, of the U.S. being so divided? I think that the divisiveness that we have in the U.S. certainly makes it very difficult for sides to come together um, and, and to, con- to cede any gains to the other side. That was the study's co-author, Ariel Friedman, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host, Jade Heidman. USA soccer fans are celebrating after yesterday's World Cup win over Iran. But the bigger problem of Iran's treatment of women is on the mind of an Iranian-born activist from San Diego. KPBS reporter Claire Strong went to meet her. Parisa, who asked us not to use her last name to protect her safety, knows just what it's like to be a girl in Iran. She was forced to disguise herself as a boy just so she could play soccer and wasn't even allowed into stadiums to watch her brother play when he turned professional. It was awful. I felt like I'm in a jail in my body and my brother was my hero and, uh, you know, I loved soccer. Parisa believes FIFA should have banned Iran from taking part in the World Cup. She's now urging the U.S. government not to make any deals with the country until Iranian women are treated like humans. Claire Strong, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.